okay? How are you? Is this on? Hello? All right, good. No bumper today. I was, exp- I was back there like waiting for my cue. No cue. So I just came out. And we're going to go get a tree. We're going to decorate it. It's going to be our tradition. Eh. I want to make memories. I just memorized that whole thing just right there. <laughs> we're doing that. Right? I, I'm looking forward to it. This guy's going to be good. It's going to be funny. He comes highly recommended via Maggie Jenny. Right, Maggie? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anybody need a Bible? Want to get one put in your hand so you can follow along with us today. If you need one, please don't be shy about it. Just let us see who you are. We, uh, did we get the new ones yet? No. No. With their own order, we ordered some. So, but either way, a Bible is a Bible. Like I said, only, well, that's it's kind of, that depends, doesn't it? On, on, well, I don't even want to say translation, interpretation, but I mean like the Book of Mormon's not a Bible. That's all I'm saying. That kind of thing. You got to be careful. Not every book that claims to be holy is necessarily holy or of the Lord or however you want to say. I don't know why I'm messing with this, but let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Micah as we continue on in our journey through this, what we call minor prophet. Why do we call them minor prophets versus major prophets? Because they're not quite as important. <laughs> no, it's because the, bi- the, the book itself is, is a smaller book. That's all it means. It's just, it's not a, a mass scroll or two that they had to uncover. But anyway, we're going to look at it in its entirety in a message that I have entitled, Deception Leads to Destruction. So let's, let's uh, take our hearts before the Lord. Uh, Father, we are just so grateful to be here today to, uh, to know you more. That's, that's our goal is to know you, to be known by you, uh, to, Lord, that we might find our lives well-pleasing to you. So we would ask God that you would speak to us, uh, Lord, that you would challenge us. As always, we're asking that you would change us, that we'd be more like Jesus when we leave here uh, because we've spent time with you. So we draw near to you, Lord, and we thank you for the promise of your word that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so uh, we just want to receive from your word even now in Jesus' name. What do we say? Amen. Amen. Well, the word of God, it, um, it shines like a light. It, uh, it directs us. When necessary, it corrects us. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shines before me. It's like the illumination that helps me. It causes me to see clearly what I'm doing, the way I'm going in life. And if you love God, you love his word. It does you good, it helps you, it strengthens you, it feeds and nourishes your inner man. The word of God is light, and it is life. However, if you don't love God, if you have no real desire to walk uprightly, that is, to lead a life of integrity that honors God and is equitable or fair with others, Well, the word of God isn't a blessing to you at all. It's something that bothers you. It kind of gets on your nerves. You don't want to hear it uh, because it exposes the sin in your life. Now, if you wanted to repent, you'd welcome it. 
But if you want to root down and anchor yourself in sin, you shun it. You don't want attention drawn to your self-centered, self-seeking, self-indulgent kind of ways. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said it like this. He said, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Why would they do that? Because their deeds were, what's the word? Evil. But what does that mean? Does that mean like, uh, you know, intentionally satanic, like they're this evil. You see this guy out there, you know, the top hat, the old classic handlebar mustache. <laughs> you know, that evil kind of guy. No, it just simply means ungodly or sinful. For everyone practicing evil or sin or ungodliness hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It's typical of today, and it was happening in Micah's day. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read, that which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. That is, throughout all of human history, in every culture globally, the heart of man remains the same. You understand that? They're saying there's nothing new. There's nothing that, you know, you're, the heart of man has always remained the same. And that is why the gospel, the message of the gospel is such a relevant message regardless of when it's preached, regardless of where it's preached, because it appeals not to culture, uh, not to a particular place or time in history, but to the human heart. And so, now listen, I say all that to say this. Micah, there he was, he was preaching. Micah was um, prophesying, but the people weren't having it. They told him to stop, and the word was prattling. Stop preaching, stop getting on our nerves with all this uh, negative prophesying. They wanted to hear everything is okay. It doesn't really matter how you live or what you do or how you treat others. You don't need to honor the Lord and have him on the throne of your heart. You know, you can sin, you can do you, and you can still be saved in the end. God understands your case, you know, I mean, and he stored up for you a, a long life of parties and, and prosperity, or even more, uh, people want to hear that what the Bible classifies as sin isn't really sin. You know, it, it's the understanding of an ancient, archaic world, it, not modern progressivism and all. You know, your best life is still ahead. Live it the way you want. But listen, the preacher that puts forth that message is the prattler of the people. The one who tells you what you want to hear as opposed to what you need to hear, opens the door. If you remember right, you can look back at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2 to your captivity, to your enslavement, to sin, and the ramifications that follow. But listen to me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And Micah has been 
faithfully seeking to rebuke the nation of Israel, to remind them of who they are before the Lord. Even as we at times need reminded of who we are before the Lord, who God has made us to be in Christ Jesus. And he's called them to lead the life uh, that they are uh, called to do as his people, uh, that they should be a people of repentance. They should return to him with all of their heart. But much like many today, rather than respond appropriately, hear the message and receive it from the man of God, they're refusing to hear it. They don't want to hear it. So look with me at verse 3. This is where he picks up and, 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 and we read, And I said, so Micah's responding, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Well, that's pretty good. You can kind of see that. I mean, you know, that's very picked towards very uh, graphic in its description. But let's remind ourselves that uh, though Micah speaks to the nation, his emphasis is upon the rulers, yeah? Upon the leaders, uh, those who sit in seats of uh, authority. Because generally speaking, ladies and gentlemen, a land will reflect its leadership. And by the time corruption has found itself in the seat of power, that is in a nation's capital, uh, that nation will find itself on the slippery slope that leads to the judgment of God. Okay? Government exists for the common good of the people, uh, for the protection of the people, not the profit of its leaders. Okay? Now, A good leader will see himself or herself in a place of authority so that they can make the lives of whom those whom they lead better. Okay? Uh, Meaning that as a leader, your authority is to be used to serve others, not have others serve you. Does that make sense? You're to do what you do to make the lives of others better, not make your own life better off of others. Okay? Now, as for what we just read, verse 1, he's saying is how it should be. Okay? Verses 2 and 3 was their reality. He's addressing the heads of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. And he says, Is it not for you to know justice? The role of the rulers, the elders, the judges, to know justice. That is, they should be familiar with it, have a cognitive understanding of it. Their responsibility, you see, was to study the law of God and administer justice and righteousness amongst the people. Listen, you guys, justice is really uh, a foundational layer of what a healthy society is built upon. You understand that. I mean, to do good is to be rewarded, to do wrong is to be disciplined or, or punished or, or penalized. 
But as we've discovered in Micah's day, justice was being perverted. The foundation was being destroyed. In the 11th Psalm, David wrote, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I mean, what are you going to do? And this was the problem the people were wrestling with. When the poor were drugged to court and you know, they weren't given fair hearings. They were being taken advantage of by the rich. They were being taken for all that they had. And those who were ruling, the heads of Jacob, who should have been administering justice on behalf of the people, they, well, they, the, far from administering justice, they were in on the whole thing. They were being paid to look the other way. They were being made rich through their unjust ruling. They were taking bribes and ruling for money. And rather than practicing justice... Loving good and hating evil, they were in that opposite place. They notice in verse uh, 2, they hated the good and loved evil. Now, uh, don't forget that Isaiah was prophesying through this time as well. Micah was kind of a contemporary with Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 5, we read where he wrote, Woe to those who call evil good. Now remember, evil doesn't mean necessarily a concerted effort toward, you know, demonic, you know, you know we're talking just about ungodliness, sinfulness, and good, evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, when there's confusion... Or we could go as far as to say just plain rebellion, right? But when there's confusion concerning what is good and what is evil, when there is rebellion against what is right and what is wrong, what's light and what's darkness, a nation's in trouble. Um, Now, as far as the general consent of this nation is concerned, you already know, you, Christian, Uh, Or what's wrong with this place? I mean, you know, you're the problem. Because you don't consent to homosexual relationships as being a good thing. You know, you are not okay with the pornography industry and the destruction that they rain upon individual lives and marriage relationships. You think it's wrong to be drunk or stoned or inebriated in some capacity. You say that abortion is murder. You see, you're the one who seeks to squelch everyone's fun. You're the one that wants to uh, hone in and take from people their freedoms, their liberties. You're not, well, the word, the buzzword of today is progressive. You're not progressive, and you're a problem. But the Bible is clear. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And again, you who love the Lord hate evil. Rather than being there for the people, they were feasting on the people. That is, they were enriching themselves. That's what he's talking about there in in verses 2 and 3, that they're enriching themselves off of the people, not serving, not being a blessing to the people. He says, you strip the skin from my people, the flesh from their bones. He's not speaking literally. The idea is that they were mercilessly reducing them to nothing. And, And rather than protecting them, the people were just profit for them and nothing more. 
They weren't caring for their flock, you see. Now, uh, if you want a little homework, you can write this down so you can look it up and read it later. It's Ezekiel chapter 34. I encourage you to read it, the first 11 verses of Ezekiel chapter 34, okay? But he says in verse 4, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. It's interesting, isn't it? How people uh, want to ignore God when he's reaching out to them. They want to disregard him when he's trying to get in front of them and, and save them from a certain uh, path or the end thereof. You know, when he pleads with them, when God cries out or calls out to them, they, they're quick to put him on the don't call me, I'll call you list. But suddenly, when those ramifications are upon them, when having sown to the wind, they're, there they are and they're reaping the whirlwind. Well, they want to call out, they want to cry out, they want to plead and reach for him and they think that now he needs to come running to them. You know, a nation turns its back on God and all kinds of ungodliness and wickedness and sinfulness and rebellion against his ways and his word takes place. And then when distress is upon them, how often you hear the phrase, may God help us. Well, I wouldn't count on it. I mean, he might, but he might not. You know, in fact, the distress that's upon you, listen to this, just might be his doing. Okay? Here we see a people leading lives, godless lives, but then wanting God's help in time of trouble. And God says, it's not going to happen. That's what verse 4 is all about. You've ignored the cries of those who have called upon you when they were in need. And so now... I am going to ignore your cries when you are in need. Remember Proverbs 21 and verse 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Now guys, this isn't speaking about the guy that's standing on the street corner, you know, just uh, asking for a handout. He's talking about those who are needing justice, not getting it because they, they couldn't, afford it or something, just being taken advantage of. Instead of protecting the people, the rulers were profiting from the people. In Isaiah, we read it like this. When you spread out your hands, what is this posture? What does this mean? There is a prayer posture, okay? He's saying, when you pray, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood, You remember that passage, it's not that my hand is short that it can't save, it's not that my ear is heavy that it can't hear, but your sin has separated you from me, says the Lord. That's that's the idea. It's not that God can't hear you, it's that there's a sin breach between you that needs to be dealt with. In the New Testament vernacular, we read it like this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Or as Peter puts it, as he quotes Psalm 34, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Think about that. Is God gracious and merciful? 
Absolutely, yes. Should we presume upon his grace? I say no. God is not obligated to do whatever we ask. You know, some people seem to think that. But guys, there are a few, can we just call them conditions? There are a few conditions when it comes to having a fruitful prayer life. A life of obedience to the word of God is just one of them. Uh, Now, of course, there's believing God. There's asking according to his will. Jesus said, if you abide in me, there's one. And my words abide in you, there's one. You will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Why? Because your desire will be aligned with his. Do you see how that works? Question. Is what we're seeing in Micah a people abiding in a relationship with God? A a people who aren't only about being in God's word, but they're also about God's word being active and instructive and constructive in their lives? Is that what we're seeing? No. No. Not at all. Now, as for whether or not that's a fact in your own life, I can't, I can't say, right? That's between you and the Lord. Is, is God's word, does it have a prominent place in your life? Is it active and instructive and constructive for you? Are you abiding in the Lord, the Lord's word abiding in you? I don't, I don't know. I pray that be, to be so. But I trust that you can evaluate that between you and the Lord, or you can ask him to give you an honest evaluation of what's happening between you and him, and, or him and you, however the case may be. But far from hearing them, God says that he will, well, the phrase is, hide his face from them. Guys, do you remember the priestly blessing that Aaron was to pronounce over the people when God told Moses to tell Aaron that when the people were before him, how he was to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may the Lord uh, cause or make his face to shine upon you and may he uh, be gracious to you and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and, and give you peace. You remember that? That, press, that priestly blessing, the Lord lift up his countenance, cause his face to shine upon you. The idea of God's face shining upon you is that of his favor may God you know may his favor be rich toward you may his blessing be upon your life but there'll be no favor there'll be no blessing for the ungodly for the heartless people who only live to take advantage of others no peace the Bible says for the wicked as they have measured out so it will be measured back What did James say? Judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Question, uh, do you need God to be merciful to you? I mean, I'm just asking. Would you like for God to be merciful to you? Man, I know I would. So what's what's the clue? What's the cue? What do we do? We show mercy. We are merciful to others. We don't, we don't give them what they deserve. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Now, grace goes beyond that. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. 
right? So in mercy, one does not, God does not give us what we deserve. With, you know, in Christ, we're, we don't, we, he doesn't, we, there's, we're not condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. Eternal separation from God in hell or the lake of fire, you know, depending on what point in history uh, we're talking, right? Because ultimately, everyone who does not know the Lord, the ultimate destiny is the lake of fire. Well, I don't want to get into all that right now. Because you're going, well, I thought that's what hell was. Well, actually, hell will be cast into the lake of fire, the Bible says in the book of Revelation. Be that as it may, in mercy, God does not give us that. But in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve, everlasting life. In his presence forever, where there is joy forevermore. The person and the power of his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to lead us, to be with us. The power to lead lives set apart to him on and on. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the father of lights in whom there is no shadow or variation of turning. Right? Praise God. And so, if you want mercy, we're to be merciful. If you're living a life of rebellion against God, the the word is repent. That is turn around. Give your life to Christ. Because Jesus shed his blood. He died upon the cross. He rose again the third day so that through faith in him, you see, he paid the penalty uh, for my sin, for your sin, and through faith in him and his work upon the cross on our behalf, you'll never perish, you see. You'll never uh, enter into that. There's therefore now no condemnation, but you'll have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why it's so important. Hear me now. Don't phase out. Don't tune out. Pay attention. This is why it's so important that we turn to the Lord, that we come to God, that we surrender to Him, however you want to say it, but when we sense that calling, that tugging, that, that pull upon our hearts, that thing that's happening in there, and I know it happens in there because the Bible says that God puts eternity in the heart of every man. And so that whole, why am I here? What's the point of life? There's got to be more. And the Lord's tugging on you. He's pulling. He's, he's drawing you in. And it's so important that we respond to him when he does that, when this is happening, when that transaction is is taking place, because we're not the ones who reach out to him, but rather he's the one who reaches out to us. You see, he finds us. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. The Bible is clear that God initiates, but we respond. And that's why the Bible says today, are you hearing me? Today. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Why? Because you may not have tomorrow. Oh, you may be around, you may be alive, but what I'm saying is that he may not call out to you tomorrow. It may be that having sensed his call and neglecting it, that the day comes that you cry out and he won't hear. He may, in fact, hide his face. You rejected him, now he's refusing you. Listen, guys, it's true that God is gracious and merciful, but I I just don't know where or when, or when or where, that line is for each person. You know, he's also holy. He is righteous. He is just. And I just think it's a, 
It's a tragedy that too many people like to presume upon like this deathbed confession concept. You know what I'm talking about? Like they'll live however they want, but just before they die or, you know, when they grow old and gray, you know, then they'll, they'll turn from all their sin, they'll trust in Jesus, they'll be ushered off into heaven. Guys, that's to presume that God will even hear you. Who says that he won't be the one to initiate the judgment against you? Having rejected Jesus Christ your whole life, now you'll reap the results of your own ways. He will hide his face from you. What does that mean? It means consciously cast you off because you have been, well, the words in verse 4 are evil or ungodly in your deeds. Guys, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just saying, if you hear his voice, then today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Now look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. And so the chapter begins, Micah's addressing the overseers, the rulers, the heads, the judges. Now he addresses the prophets who have been telling the rulers what they want to hear. You know, peace, prosperity, partying, all this good, you know, whatever is, uh, you want is in your future. Notice in verse 5, the accountability that God lays at their feet. Let not many of you become teachers, right? Knowing you'll receive a stricter judgment or a stricter accountability. He says that these prophets, false prophets, Make my people stray. That's pretty heavy. They make my people stray by chanting peace while they chew with their teeth. You know, they encourage them to continue on in their ungodliness, telling them that everything's going to be okay between them and God. Again, you guys, there's nothing new under the sun. Last time we spoke of how there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said in the last days that uh, people would heap up for themselves teachers. You remember that? Having itching ears. They'll tell them what they want to hear because they'll turn aside from truth and turn to fables and all of that. And they'll find plenty of preachers who will tell them what they want to hear. You know what we call them today? We call them liberals or, or uh, progressive. You're right? Progressive preachers or progressive Christians. Let me tell you something. If you, how many of you have heard of progressivism or progressive Christianity? I just want you to know that I have never come across a teaching or a, uh, I, I should say, a principle, maybe in progressive Christianity that is Christian at all, okay? It's much more likely to be blasphemy. Um, 
Now, it, it was so, it, but here's the thing, there's nothing new under the sun. It's happening today. Uh, it was happening in Micah's day as well. A hundred years after Micah, it was happening in Jeremiah's day. Listen to this. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. Here's the kicker. But what will you do in the end? Think about that. Guys, that's the problem. People don't think about the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? What are you going to do in the end? when God won't hear you or when you stand before the Lord having passed from this life and there you are. You know, people like to think about the moment. They don't worry about later. Hey man, I'll worry about that later. Right now I am. How many times we... But you and I do well to strive to maintain the eternal perspective How will this impact me ultimately, eternally? How is this affecting my relationship with God, you see? It's so important. If the prophets were being paid, they told these guys whatever they wanted to hear. You know, if you gave them something to eat, something to drink, they gave you a message of peace. That's what it means when it says, they make my people stray, chanting peace while they chew with their teeth. He's saying their gods are their belly. If you're lining their pocket, they'll tell you, you know, you're giving them, you know, will work for food was kind of the prophet's motto. Like, look, man, you, you give me something, I'll tell you what you want to hear. But if you couldn't pay them, then, uh, then you became their feast in essence, if you'll allow. They prepare war, he says, uh, against him who puts nothing in their mouth. You know, you, you want to know kind of uh, what God would have you do or what you think? Well, I mean, you know, what can you do for me? Nothing? Well, then get out of here. I'm not going to help you. You know, kind of a thing. But the time was going to come when these men who claimed to bring light would be shrouded in darkness. Everyone would know that they were counterfeit, false prophets. It says, then they would cry out to the Lord, but he wouldn't hear. The line was crossed. It was too late. Judgment would be upon them, and there would be no escape. And rather than shepherding the nation, they led them astray. And the time was coming whereby they would pay. Listen, man, the true man of God is not going to tell you what you want to hear. And it doesn't matter uh, what you offer to do for him, how much you say you'll pay him, whatever the case may be, he's not a hireling. You cannot serve God and money, right? These guys out there who refuse to talk about sin, who won't call it out for what it is, I was listening to someone just the other day and everything was tracking along pretty good and then all of a sudden this issue came up and, and he started going off on this weird tangent. Well, you know, I'm not going to presume to tell someone what sin is. I'm like, I will. What, what are you, I mean, I mean, it's like, what are you talking about? The Bible is clear. I wouldn't presume to tell you, you know, what sin is. It's like, do, do you read your what are you doing, man? And uh, they portray God as some kind of powder puff who's okay with whatever you want to do. They don't talk about the blood of Christ, and it's, I'm okay, you're okay, we all go to heaven in the end, we all leave feeling really good and pumped up. Listen, God is holy, and He is righteous, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Now look at verse 8. So verse 7, the seers will be ashamed, the diviners abashed, they'll cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. Now look at verse 8, but truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. I want you to notice the confidence and the contrast in Micah's calling, Micah's message versus those who simply say what people want to hear. He exposes them in their shame, that is those prophets who are just telling people, those progressive prophets telling people what they want to hear. He says, he exposes them in their shame and then he declares, I'm not like you, okay? He says, I am full of three things. Number one, power. Notice, by the Spirit of God. Number two, justice, which is what the people were in need of. And number three, might, meaning he's not afraid to tell them the truth, what they needed to hear, as opposed to what they wanted to hear. Paul told Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now Jesus, in the book of Acts, said that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive what? Power. You will receive power. Listen to me. The power to be a witness. Uh, the power to do the will of God or to speak the word of God with authority isn't found in a dynamic personality or a charismatic personality. It's the work of the spirit of God in a person's life. The Lord gives us the power to be the people he's called us to be. And I might add for you and me that it's something that we need to seek him for on the daily. You know what I'm talking about? Man, we need that fresh filling of God's spirit each and every day. Give us this day, right? Our daily bread. Spiritual sustenance through his word. Strengthened through his spirit. We need it every day. But look at the work of the Holy Spirit in Micah's life. The results of his being filled with the Spirit of God was the fulfillment of his ministry. Did you see it there? To declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Uh, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? John chapter 16 and verse 8. The work of the Spirit in his life was to bring to their attention sin and things for which they should repent so that they might be right with God, how to walk with God. Now look at verse 9. We'll read out the rest of the chapter here. He says, now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity who build up Zion with bloodshed and declare or pardon me and Jerusalem with uh, iniquity her heads judge for a bribe her priests teach for pay her prophets divine for money yet they lean on the Lord and say is not the Lord among us no harm can come upon us 
Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Uh, who's my closer, Joseph? You can make your way up here. Here's the, here's the kind of the uh, summary of verses 9 through 12. Deception leads to destruction. Okay? To the heads, the rulers, those who abhor justice and pervert all equity. What is equity? It means fairness. Yeah? They judge for a bribe. The priests teach for pay. The prophets divine for money. More concerned for material gain than being right in the sight of God. Yet because they were the quote unquote people of God, they believed that God was always with them, would never allow any kind of harm or foul play to come upon them. They professed to know God, but in works they denied Him. Guys, beware of any kind of theology that makes it easy for you to sin. Okay, or brings justification to your pursuit of ungodliness. You know, they looked at God like some sort of amulet almost, like a good luck charm. Um, a false confidence that mistook the ritual of godliness for a relationship with God. Guys, that's so easy to do. It's so easy to fall in the trap, the mechanics of misery. You begin to replace a relationship with God for a ritual of godliness. In other words, listen, it's not about coming to church, though the Bible exhorts us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Yes, we should be here, but it's not about coming to church. It's not about our giving, though the Bible exhorts us to be givers. For God so loved that He gave, and if God be in us, we'll give. And all. It's not about your serving, though the Bible commands us to serve one another. Jesus said, even as I have served you, so you should serve one another. But those things aren't the basis for your righteousness. They're the overflow of you being right with God. Does that make sense? You know, I don't do those things so I can be right with God. Well, you know, I go to church, I, I give at the offering time, I, I, I serve as an usher or a greeter in the children's ministry, or what, you know, I just, I do these things, and so therefore, no. They're the result of your love for God. Never exchange. In other words, man, I just love the Lord. You know, Abby was talking to us uh, before church about the why. Look, you all know and this is something that, that I, I try to help my leaders communicate occasionally because um, you all know what we want to see when you come to church, right? We, what we want is for us all to worship together in spirit and truth, to blow the roof off, to, be, to have a sense of freedom, to clap and give God praise and, you know, amen and his word and all of this. And that's the what. But the question is why? What's the, what's the heart behind what we do? Does that make sense? The motive, that's, that's what's so important. Never exchange the ritual before God for your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Because judgment's coming. <laughs> but grace is available. And so today, if you'll hear His voice, don't harden your heart.
Let's, let's bow our, our heads and our hearts. God, we just uh, we want to thank you for your faithfulness to warn us. You, you are so unmistakably clear with us because you desire to spare us. You want to save us. And so search our hearts. And I just pray, God, beginning with me, that you shine the light on ungodliness within us. Give us hearts of repentance, God. Renew our relationship with you. Be glorified in our lives. And God, as it pertains to this country, this nation, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. We pray for our community that you would bring an awakening, revival in this place, that we would have hearts that ache for the lost and just not be able to stay silent. Listen, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just to uh, maybe echo what we've kind of reviewed today that deception leads to destruction. I'm, I'm encouraging you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't be deceived. Don't buy into the lie that God understands in your case or your situation is different or you can wait till you're older or on and on and on it goes. If you hear His voice today, if God is tugging on the strings of your heart, respond, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has loved you and given himself for you, and you'll be saved. That is delivered from destruction and made right in the sight of God. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's you, if God is speaking to you, if he's dealing with you, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. What matters is what's happening in your heart right here, right now. And if you're ready to open the door of your heart to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want to pray for you. I don't know, maybe everybody here knows the Lord. Maybe you love the Lord. I, but, you know, maybe you've just been in that place where you've you found yourself, and you know, well, you know, I was baptized, so I think I'm okay. Listen, baptism doesn't make you okay. Well, I mean, I've been to church a few times. That may, Well, going to church, that's what we're talking about, you guys. It's not the ritual. Do you know the Lord? Have you had that? encounter with him whereby he came into your life and he changed it forever you're not the same old things have passed away all things become new if you can't say man I yeah that's me well then let's let's address that today can I pray for you if so I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and God bless you Brent, man and if I say it I see you you know I'll let you know and you can put your hand back down. But anyone else, Lord, just dealing with you, speaking to you.
So I know that um, God is speaking to his church today. And um, I praise God for a new salvation. But um, we just had coffee night, right? And uh, did we talk about what we spoke at at coffee night, you and I? No. Do you have any idea what what we shared, what I shared there? No. Um, so who is at coffee night? And what did we talk about? Just anybody? And, and we talked about the fact that our sin separates us from God. And that we are to, called to keep a, a what, what was that said, a short sin leash. And so not much will rattle me enough to come up here before you and tell you that I know that God is speaking to his church today. And so um, this has rattled my cage, and I just felt like I needed to share with you, Christian, that God wants you to know that um, if you can't hear from him, if something has seemed to separate you from him, it's not because he has repositioned himself from you. It's because you have repositioned yourself from him. So um, hear him today and respond to that, whatever that sin may be, whether it is just believing the lie of progressive Christianity or whether it is just, um, you know, being complacent and being in, finding yourself in just the habit of coming to church. He wants more than that. He wants all of us. He wants all of our hearts. And um, so I just needed to say that to you, believer, today, to Calvary Chapel Joplin, because I know that that's what God is saying to you. Oh, that's my wife. <laughs> um, that's not what you huh? I can come up here for coffee. You go ahead and pray now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you forgot your phone. It's, it's what you do. Well, I texted him and asked him if I could come up. Well, I saw that you text, but I never know if that's a message or sometimes it's a heart or sometimes it's kissy lips or, you know. <laughs> I never know what it's going to be. And so it's like, do I, do I take the moment and look at it? Sir. But I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you came up here because uh, uh, it, I'm telling you guys, it takes a lot to move my wife to come stand in front of you. You know, so as Jesus would say, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. So, Lord, we just come before you now and we just pray, uh, Lord, uh, you just continue to move and minister. Thank you, Lord, for hearts that are responding to you, being open before you. And listen, I just want to go ahead and and just uh, lead you in a prayer and look, I never know what's happening in someone's heart. I never know if it's like a Man, this is hitting me in a way where it's like my whole life I've thought this, but now I realize that. Or if it's uh, maybe just a rededication, a reconnection, a renewal. But man, I just like to start over. So let's just do that. Let's just come before the Lord for the first time all over again and just tell Him who we are, that we're sinners in need of His salvation. We need His grace. We need His mercy. 
We want, we desire to, to have that first love relationship with him. And so, Lord, we just come before you now and we humble ourselves in your sight. And listen, if it's resonating in your heart, just tell him to say, God, I turn from my sin and I place my trust in you that you would help me to lead my life for you from this day forward. Not by my might, not by my power, but by your spirit. May you fill me and have your way in me. That I would be the witness that you've called me to be. Thanks for putting my name in your book of life, God. Why don't we rise to our feet? God is good and greatly to be praised. And uh, pray that the Lord bless you and, and be with you, and, uh, that his word would resonate in you, and that you would find yourself drawing near to him. Man, like I say, um, the Bible is clear that if you will draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. In other words, God honors the position of your heart. And you guys, I just it's my heart for you to find yourself just on fire for him, just contagious and infectious with his love. That, you know, the, that the message of his word would spread more rabid than COVID through the community because you love him so much. Because people have questions. People are confused. That's one thing I just kind of encourage. You know, we do this little pre-service. And if you serve here and you haven't been making our 920 pre-service huddle, I encourage, exhort you to do that. Where we just come together, remember not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And, you know, just a little word of encouragement there. In John chapter 3, you find Nicodemus, right? He's a very popular passage. He comes to Jesus. But in my mind, it's a broad picture. Not, I mean, there's very specific detail in there. There's an incredible teaching in there. There's all kinds of application in there. But if you'll just allow me this one, it's like there's a big picture of a man who is confused, a man who has questions, and he finds the answer in Christ. You know what I'm saying? That's a picture of the, the world today. People are confused. People have questions. People don't understand what God wants of them or how, you know, and, and the answer is in Christ Jesus. We want them to come to Christ. And so that's where you come in. You're the, you're the one that builds the bridge that says, hey, come and see. You know, and I don't want to make it a, like a, a church growth campaign by any stretch, but man, our church would grow by, would double every year if we would all receive the burden in 365 days to reach one person that would come and see their lives forever different. 
because of what God's doing in you or through you and they hear his word and faith comes by hearing and hearing. And, and to me, and again, it's not about, it's not about the, the, the number of the people in the church. That's not, I hope that if that comes across, then you've missed my point. My point is, is that where's our burden? You know, where's our, you know, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we just get in this rut where we go through life and we go to work or we go to the gym or we do our thing and we see people in the supermarket and it's just blah, 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 and it's life. And look, it's no condemnation, but sometimes I wonder like, man, this person is either going to be in heaven or hell like, you know, forever. You go to the mall, it's Christmas shopping season, right? And there you are, you're in the food court having some Chick-fil-A and you're looking at everybody run up and down. Them. And just think, every single one of those people, every single one of those people, And what are we doing? Christ died for each and every one of them. So if you have any need for prayer as we dismiss here, we encourage you to come up, be encouraged, strengthened, blessed. Um, I didn't really mean to send you out on a somber tone necessarily, but man, if the Lord's stirring, just receive it. Just receive it. Just think about it because the Word of God is like a seed and it's sown into the, the soil of our hearts. And I promise you guys, we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, they want to snatch it out. But God wants it to be burrowed deep down in there so that it might bring forth fruit for his glory. So God, I pray that that be the case in the word that you've given us today, that it would bring forth fruit for your glory, that it would be sunk deeply into our hearts. Again, Lord, we, we repent of our sin. We return to you. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be renewed in that first love. And so pour your spirit out upon us. Have your way in us, Lord. Would you cause your face to shine upon us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And what do we say? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. That's this week, right? God bless you guys.